Our scripture reading this morning will be from John chapter 9, verses 18 through 25. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how can he see now, or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Before we get into today's message, I just want to give you a quick reminder about a couple of things that are very important for this church family. Next Sunday, we are going to come back with our commitment forms. If you don't have one of those forms, if you weren't here last Sunday, there are some envelopes on the left end of your pew. Feel free to get one before you leave today. Take that home. And so we have a commitment form. We have an involvement form. The involvement form is also online, and I think we would actually prefer you to do that online. It's actually easier to do online. The commitment form we don't have online. It's old school paper version. And part of that is for confidentiality. We want to keep most of that information on there confidential but this is an important opportunity for us to make commitments it's so good for us to renew our commitments to God to revisit who we are and what we're about and what's important to us and so on that commitment form there are some things that should be important to us we're asking you as individuals or you as a couple or you as a family to recommit this year to those things One of those things is, how are you going to be active in making disciples? And there are lots of different options there, and it doesn't cover all the options. There are lots of ways for us to make disciples. But if there's something we can do to equip you or to empower you, to train you or to give you something, an opportunity that will help you not only become a disciple, but even be used by God to make disciples, then we want to do that. So take that information home, pray about it, talk about it, plan for it, bring those commitment forms back next Sunday, and we will dedicate those to God. We'll pray over those and commit those to God. Again, the involvement form, you can do that online, or you can fill out the paper version, and you can turn that in with your commitment form. There's some boxes out in the lobby. You can turn that in as well out there, but we want every member of this congregation to commit to God in all these important areas. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along on your own text, we're going to be in John chapter 9 today. Some of you probably know this about me, but I can't see very well. Since about fifth grade, I needed corrective lenses. And back then it was, you know, the thick glasses with brown plastic frames that could be easily mistaken for goggles. (laughs) And may or may not have been called that a few times. After that, I actually transitioned into rigid, gas-permeable contact lenses. I don't know if any of you had those. Terribly uncomfortable. 
But, you know, when you're in high school, you don't want to wear glasses necessarily, so I endured those. And then finally, I got to transition into soft contacts, which was, that was a game changer. And my eyes changed so much after going out of the rigid lenses that I actually only had to wear one soft contact. <laughs> Having astigmatism in one eye really badly, my other eye was pretty good, and so I was a cyclops. I just had one contact that I had to, to put in. And then about 15 years ago, because my sister-in-law worked for a LASIK surgeon, we got the family discount, and I had LASIK surgery on that bad eye. And that was great. That was wonderful. Well, like I said, that was 15 years ago. It's kind of faded now. So now I can't really see distances very well, and I'm at that age where I really can't see up close very well either. So I have to have readers, and I've had reading glasses for a while, especially when I'm studying. But the other day, I put them on, and they just broke in my hand. They just broke. They're really cheap, and so, okay, i got to get some more. So I went online, and I ordered six pair of reading glasses for 12 bucks. What a deal. That's a deal. And the package came in. I opened it up, and I took a pair out, and I put them on. And I said, Carrie Ann, what do you think? And she didn't say anything. I was expecting something like, oh, they make you look smarter. Because really, that's not too hard to do, right? That's an easy, that's a softball. But she didn't say anything. I said, what? She said, they look kind of small. <laughs> and I think that was my sweet wife's way of saying, you've got a big head. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what she was saying. But I've got to tell you, you all look a lot better when I put these on. <laughs> all your faces are blurred out right now, so you look a lot, a lot better. No, don't take that like a minute, Okay. I know I need to do something about my eyes. I need to go to the optometrist. I need to get my eyes checked. I need either glasses or contact. I need to do something. I know that, and I'm going to. But in the meantime, <laughs> I found online a DIY eye exam. There was a disclaimer there just in case. It said, this does not take the place of an official exam by a trained optometrist, <laughs> as though, you know, we could put all of them out of business by just doing this ourselves. But the idea is that you download this eye chart, you print it out on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. I did that. You stick it on the wall and you pace out 10 feet and then you cover each eye and you see which line you can read and the lowest line it has, you know, what, what your eyesight is. And so I did that. Put it on the wall, paced out 10 feet, Covered my bad eye, started with my good eye. I thought, man, I'm pretty good. I got down to 2025 with my good eye. So then I switched and I covered my good eye, and I was at 2080. That is the third line. See the giant E? I read the TOZ line. That's all I could read with my bad eye. So that confirmed yes, I need to do something about my vision. I need some help with my vision. And anyone who ever rides in the car with me would probably agree with that, right? You would want me to do that. And I will. I will. You know, sometimes we just can't see. Sometimes we can't see and we know it. Sometimes we can't see and we don't know it. And sometimes we can't see and for whatever reason, we don't do anything to change it, to correct it. And I'm not talking about eyesight. 
I'm talking about spiritual vision. So as we consider what it means to see as God wants us to see, and as we continue in our series called 2020 Vision, today I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to do a DIY, do-it-yourself eye exam. Not about your literal eyesight, but about your spiritual vision. Is it possible that you can't see as well as you think you can? Is it possible that you aren't seeing all the things that God wants you to see, how he wants you to see them? Is it possible that you are resistant, for whatever reason, to having some correctiveness, having some insight and some improvement on your spiritual vision. Is that possible? This morning I'm going to ask you to do a do-it-yourself assessment of your spiritual vision. And to do that we're going to let a story in the Gospel of John help us. In John's story of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus in chapter 9 we get to be observers of this incredible miracle story. It's a story that validates in many ways the identity of Jesus as the true Messiah, the Son of God. It is a story that incites jealousy and scandal among the religious leaders of his day. It's a story that is soaked in irony. It's a story that is so incredibly relevant for us today as we consider our spiritual condition, as we consider our spiritual vision. So Jesus and his disciples come across this man who is blind. He's been blind his whole life. And as soon as his disciples see him, they ask Jesus a question. They say, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born this way, that he would be born blind? You see, for the Jews, there was an unmistakable connection between the physical, the material, and the spiritual. And in their minds, if you had a physical problem, that was simply an indicator that there was a spiritual problem. There was a sin. Someone, probably you, if not you, someone close to you, messed up. They sinned. They broke God's law, and therefore the consequences of that is you have this physical struggle, this physical problem. And I love what Jesus does. I love his response because he shifts the focus from the cause of this man's condition to its purpose. So notice what he says in chapter 9, verse 3. Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is today, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Remember, if you were here last week, as we talked about Jesus and the woman at the well, we said Jesus just sees things differently than most people. And certainly in this case, we see the same thing because his disciples, all they can see is this man's physical condition. And they are making assessments about his spiritual condition based on his physical condition. And Jesus says, no, there's something bigger happening here. This isn't about who sinned. This isn't about this man being blind. This man's condition is simply a platform from which the glory of God will resonate. 
It's a platform on which the glory of God will be evident to him and to others who see this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I have work to do. The Father has given me a vision of what it looks like to have his kingdom here on earth, and that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm about. Jesus just sees things differently. As we think about our suffering, I think it's an important thing for us to remember is maybe we need to adjust our focus. Maybe when it comes to suffering, maybe our best response is to move away from or to let go of the why and shift our focus to the how, on how God can be honored, on how God can be glorified, even in this difficult time. As N.T. Wright said, the chaos and the misery of this present world, it seems, is the raw material out of which the loving, wise, just God is making his new creation. What if when difficult times happen, we were able to see through them? What if we were able to see God in them? What if our focus wasn't just on how bad this is, on how unfair this is, on how difficult this is, but what if it was, what is God going to do in this situation? You see, for us to be able to do that, we have to have that perspective, which means we have to see things differently. It's our nature to see difficult times and suffering and just to see those things, those circumstances, those negative circumstances. But when we have spiritual vision, we see something else. We see something bigger. We see through those things to the God who is working among those things. Speaking of seeing, Jesus wants this blind man to be able to see. And so it's kind of odd what Jesus does. He spits on the ground. He makes a little bit of mud. He gets this glob of mud and he puts it on the man's eyes and rubs it on his eyes. And he sends him to a pool, a pool of Siloam, which the word means sent. And Jesus sends him to wash, seemingly to wash the mud off of his eyes. That's what the man does. He goes and he gets in the pool and he washes off his eyes. And that's when it happens. His eyes are opened. He can see. Everything is different now. Can you imagine his response? We really don't get to see his emotional response to this. But if you're like me, and that was us, we would have been overjoyed. And I'm sure he was. And he goes home with a new lease on life. He goes home with a new set of eyes. He goes home with a new vision. But his neighbors aren't so sure about it. They aren't so sure that it's the same guy or that he can really see or that he was really blind. They want an explanation. So in verse 11, he replies, the man they called Jesus made some mud. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed, and then I could see. He explains to them what happened. Well, they still aren't sure, and so they escort him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, who are the law givers, the law keepers, the law enforcers, the law of Moses, is so central to Israel, to the Jewish people. And they're in charge of the law. They are the religious leaders of the day. So they take this man to the religious leaders, You've got to hear his story. 
And so they hear this man's story. And you know what they hear? Do you know what they see? They don't see an incredible miracle that speaks to the divine power at work in Jesus' life. Remember what Jesus just said, I'm the light of the world. They don't see the light. They don't even see a story of compassion and love and mercy as Jesus gives this man an incredible gift. You know what they see? All they see is a violation. Jesus broke their law. Because if he made mud, that means he was working. And this was the Sabbath. And you don't work on the Sabbath. Because if you do, you are breaking the law of Moses. Now the truth is, Jesus wasn't working, and he didn't break the Sabbath. But you see, these Pharisees had built all these traditions, all these additional rules that now became, in their minds, part of God's law. And if you break one of those rules, in their minds, you break God's law. But they had a dilemma. Because Jesus, evidently, had healed this man, had given him sight. That could only be from God. But Jesus, at the same time, was a sinner. That's what they call him. He was a sinner. He broke the law of God. How could someone use the power of God and break the law of God? They did not know what to do with Jesus. Finally, they said, this isn't right. He is a sinner. He is breaking the law. He is not from God. It's so interesting that they never considered that what they were thinking was wrong. They never considered that their perspective was wrong. When the equation wouldn't add up, they said it must be something with Jesus They never thought, oh, maybe we aren't looking at this correctly. They are the ones that made this law, this rule, that they said Jesus was breaking. They never thought to look at themselves and say, wait a second, we're seeing this all wrong. They couldn't see Jesus for who he really was. Instead, they started with their own rules. That's where they started, which in their minds were holy, which in their minds, Jesus broke, which led to the assessment that if he broke the rules, he's a sinner. And then, starting with their rules, they try to fit this whole story, this whole narrative, this whole thing that they had just experienced into their preconceived perspective and ideas. You see what I'm saying? They were blind. They couldn't even see their own flawed reasoning. They go so far as to call the man back to them. There's got to be some explanation. Maybe this is all a hoax. Maybe this is a trick. Maybe Jesus switched the guys, and and this guy who can see is a guy who looks a lot like the guy who was blind, and that guy's somewhere else. And so they even call the guy's parents to make sure that this really is him. And you remember their response. We read it a few minutes ago, verse 20. We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Do you see what's happening here? 
Their own son, who was blind since birth, can now see, but they won't admit it. They won't point to the source of his healing, Jesus. Why? Because they are afraid they will lose their social standing. They are afraid they will lose their pew in the synagogue. You know, fear is a powerful silencer. Fear will cause us to look away from the truth. Fear will cause us to see things differently than they really are because we start with our own perspective or we start with our own insecurities. Fear will cause us to hide in the corners of a room rather than to stand up for Jesus. Fear is powerful. His parents were afraid. And they said, ask him. He can answer for himself. And so they did. Again, verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God. Don't lie to us. Tell the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Verse 25. I love his response. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. You see, that is the gospel. That is the good news. He says, I don't want to get in the middle of your religious argument. I don't know. I don't really care. What I do know is I couldn't see, and I had an exchange, an interaction, an experience, an encounter with him, Jesus, and now I can see. That's what I know. You see, an encounter with Jesus forever changed this man's life. Before Jesus, this man was defined by his condition, by his limitations. He was looked on, remember what the disciples said? Who sinned? He was looked on as a real-life demonstration and consequence of sin. He was defined by his condition. He was subject to other people's assessment of him. But after he encountered Jesus everything changed. Jesus gave him a new life. Jesus gave him new hope. Jesus gave him new eyes to see. That's what happens. That's what happens with Jesus. That's what happens at conversion. When we encounter Jesus in a personal and a powerful way, when we put our faith in him, when we do what he says to do, that's what happens. And that's what has happened to a bunch of people in this church over the past year. They've had a personal encounter with Jesus. And as they encounter Jesus, Jesus sends them to the water. He sends them to the water to be cleansed. So they will come out of the water like this man came out of the water with a new life, with a new set of eyes, with a new vision. It's happened time and time again around here. And every time it happens, we celebrate and we praise God. So this morning, we want to do that. We want to recap the baptisms of this past year. And, and I, I hope we got all of them. If we didn't, I apologize. Jeremy works really hard to make sure we compile pictures and videos of all of our baptisms. But it's so encouraging to see them together, to be reminded that God is at work among us. And every one of these people who go into that water and come out of that water, they are reflecting this man's story because they have met Jesus. 
and now everything is different. So watch this video and help us celebrate what God is doing among us. Everything that brings us to this point brings us to the one and only choice, and that is God is God. The Bible says that if you believe in the Christ, if you believe in Jesus, that there's a way of demonstrating that. Jesus said if, if uh, you confess his name before men, that he will confess your name before his Father in heaven. We couldn't be any prouder of you than we are tonight. And he's decided to uh, be baptized. He genuinely knows what this moment means. We know that you've been thinking about this for a while and studying on your own. And he's been studying with me and Neil Ferguson for a little while. Multitudes of angels in heaven are rejoicing today. I know that you have waited till you knew that this decision was your decision, and I'm thankful for that. But I want you to know I've seen the fruits of this a long time in your life. Victor, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes, I do. And he died for your sins? Yes. Are you willing to make him the Lord of your life for the rest of your life? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? That he lived on this earth, that he died on the cross, and that God raised him from the dead? Yes, I do. Yes. Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you ready to die to yourself and live solely for him? Yes. Are you ready to commit your life to follow Jesus? Yes, sir. ¿Crees tú que Jesucristo tiene poder para salvarte de tus pecados? Sí. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? Yes, I do. I do. Yes. With that confession, I baptize you now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Based upon your confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, I'm now going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of your sins. So that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Based on that confession, that I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I will now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of your sins. And that you can receive the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of your sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name del Padre, del Hijo, and del Espíritu Santo. Forgiveness of your sins, so that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Based on your confessions and your faith, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness of your sins, and that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.
Él va a ser bautizado en el nombre del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. Thanks to Todd Frazier for putting that together, many hours of work. But it tells a wonderful story, doesn't it? It's a moving tribute to what God is doing among us to change lives, to make all things new, to give us new life and new vision. You see, that's what everyone in that video has in common with the man in John chapter 9. Everything is different. We're given new life through Jesus. We're given new life because of Jesus. We come out of that water and we open our eyes and we see things differently. But we know that not everyone around us sees the same way. And for our guy in John chapter 9, the Pharisees threw him out of the synagogue. He has no place to worship. And wouldn't you know it, he comes across Jesus again. Now, seemingly, he never saw Jesus the first time, right? Jesus rubbed the mud on his eyes and sent him to the pool to wash. And now he sees Jesus for the first time. Can you imagine? Here's what happens, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I might believe in him. Jesus says, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were there with him heard him say this and they asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see your guilt remains you see the bigger story in this story is about spiritual vision Jesus says those who think they can see many of them are actually blind and this man who could not see now suddenly because of Jesus everything comes into focus now he can see 
So let me ask you this morning, how is your spiritual vision? How is your spiritual vision? What is your perspective on life? When you look at your life, when you look at other people, when you look at meaning and purpose, where those things are found, what do you see? Where is your focus? If you ever get a chance to travel to Italy, go to Florence, and at the gallery of the Academy of Florence, you will find Michelangelo's statue of David, the famous Old Testament character. The statue is 17 feet tall. If that was true, Goliath may have reconsidered the whole taunting thing. But when you look at this statue, and you, if you can zoom into David's eyes, you will notice something remarkable. Michelangelo sculpted the pupils of David's eyes as heart-shaped. He has heart-shaped eyes. And he didn't tell anyone, he didn't leave any indication as to why he did that. And so, of course, people speculate. All kinds of theories. But as you can imagine, the leading theories have to do with his love for God. He is a man after God's own heart, and so when he sees God, he sees God through the eyes of love. When he sees other people, he sees them through the eyes of love. Now imagine if that's how you looked at life. Imagine if you had heart-shaped eyes. If you had spiritual vision, looking beyond the physical, beyond the material, beyond circumstances, to see what God is doing. That you were able to look at other people, other people in their struggle, other people who are different than you, and you were able to see them through the eyes of love as Jesus did. Imagine being able to look beyond suffering and tragedy to see the God who is always at work. And maybe that suffering and that tragedy is an opportunity for God to be honored, for God to be glorified. You see, it takes spiritual vision to see that. So how is your vision? Can you see? Do you need some correction? Are you willing to see as God wants you to see? This morning, as we conclude, we want to offer an invitation, an opportunity for you to reach out, for us to lift you up and encourage you and pray for you. Or maybe an opportunity for you to respond like everyone in that video, saying, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And I want a new life. I want heart-shaped eyes. I want to see things as they truly are. I want to see as Jesus sees. Maybe today is the day that you're ready to make that choice, to be baptized into Christ. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a room right behind me. You can exit the auditorium and make your way there. They would encourage you and pray for you and help you, or you can come down to the front, and we as a church family will do the same. If there's something we can do today, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.